um, <laughs> I started on the maybe the wrong side of the tracks and uh, was adopted when I was two and a half into a beautiful, loving family um, to my parents, Carl and Colleen Ruby. And then they thought it was a great idea to travel the world as missionaries with two adopted children, uh, one with extra high energy. That would be me. And, um, you know, I, I think that I grew up in a really cool environment. Um, we had private school. We had everything that we needed. The one thing that was going on in me was I felt abnormal. I felt like I didn't belong. I had learning disabilities. I had speech impediments. I have a little touch of dyslexia and ADD, beautiful things. And uh, I never felt like I fit in or belonged. And I felt abnormal. Uh, and I'm pretty sure now looking back on it, probably we all feel that. So I was probably feeling rather normal. Uh, but when I moved around and got back to Canada, I, I just felt really on the outside. Uh, I felt like I really didn't belong. And, and, and uh, at some point in, I think, grade 10, going into grade 11, I found alcohol. And even though that I grew up with God, I had never experienced the, the love of God or what um, was offered uh, from all of the Sunday school classes that I heard and all the sermons that I heard. I was a professional sermon sitter I could sit through any sermon and um, not really listen. But that's how I grew up. And so when I found alcohol, it filled me with uh, peace and comfort that I had never known. And that's kind of what I was looking for my whole life. And then to fast forward 15 years of addiction, uh, it, it started as uh, fun and um, quickly es escalated. And uh, 15 years later, I was on the streets of Ottawa uh, trying to take my own life because I just felt like I couldn't stop using and I couldn't continue using. Um, when I was using, I started to get um, really paranoid and they call it in psychosis. And so um, the things that I was using wasn't even working anymore. And I just, I couldn't even take my own life. I, w I was trying to, but I kept waking up and I just didn't think that life was worth living. And I was hurting the people and um, the people that I loved or thought I loved um, in a way that I couldn't um, figure a way out of it. So uh, just a little recap. I have two children now that they are 24 and 22 and I am married to, I guess she could be my high school sweetheart um, from high school. So we've been together for like 30 years. So we've had 15 years of addiction and 15 years of recovery. Um, so my story is God does uh, transform and God does reconcile and God does resurrect from the dead. And so when, when I found myself on the streets of Ottawa and I had it turned into a homeless shelter and they took me in and... I had to pee in a little bottle and I had to have clean pee to go into the rehab center. So I finally got into the rehab center and went through the process and uh, came out the other side with just a really uh, new life. And they had introduced me to uh, God of my understanding. And I actually took an alpha course and went through all that and really started feeling the power of God and experiencing God kind of like I experienced uh, drugs and alcohol almost. It was, it was, I was building a relationship with God that actually was giving me life and not taking my life. And um, so over the, the course of that year, I got back into, you know, paying my bills and coming home to uh, kids that were eight or nine and seven and the chaos and the responsibility. And it was really overwhelming because I didn't have my 
anesthesia. I didn't have alcohol. I didn't have drugs. And I was trying to live a life uh, on life terms with all the chaos and the responsibility and the weight of it. And uh, I didn't have a lot of support. I didn't have a lot. I didn't really have a local church. And, and so I relapsed a few times and I had people that were around me and my family and my wife that really gave me uh, space and patience to figure this all out. And so um, I, I, I just started getting involved in the local church and um, started getting involved in 12-step recovery. And, and really what was happening was that I was learning how to die of myself uh, because uh, Jesus says, take up your cross and die of self. And so uh, I was going through that process and, and, and really, really what was happening was um, I was still trying to put my old life into this new life. It was work and it was some belief systems and all that stuff. And so uh, I had a relapse and I just, um, you know, put up my hands and I said, what do I have to do to never relapse again? And so uh, basically that looks like serving others, um, <laughs> helping, helping others uh, going into work that I've never done before. I came from the elevator union and I came from truck driving and all that fun stuff. And, and now I'm hanging out with a pastor um, going to prayer meetings and going to the hospital to pray for people and serving people at a homeless shelter and 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 giving up everything that I thought I knew how to live life and I just went into full time volunteer and through that um, that's how I got to stay sober was to um, really be a service to others and so over the course of that year I got involved in a in a ministry called Jericho Road. And I was offered a job doing uh, night staff uh, for a care home for guys with mental illness. And uh, I started working there and I was like, man, this is a great job. This is, this is a job that I would have never thought that I would love. But it wasn't like going to work. It was like going to another house with a bunch of guys that were reliant on me, that I gave their medication, that I got to care for them. And uh, over the course of time, uh, after about a year of serving there, uh, the director asked me to develop the addiction side of things. So I got to um, work with addicts um, at, a, at a core treatment um, level for eight years, uh, almost nine years, uh, working and seeing uh, hundreds of guys come in through the doors and try to figure out this recovery. And, and so in 2017, one um, of my observations, though, um, no one likes to be trapped in like kindergarten. And that's what I realized is that, you know, I went to rehab at a homeless shelter and then I developed a rehab and then I was stuck in this rehab and I was like, how do I get out of rehab? I wasn't really looking for an exit strategy or plan. I never thought I would leave it. Uh, but in 2017, God really started sparking an interest in what happens after treatment. And what I realized is that even in my own life and my own recovery, uh, I didn't have a lot of support systems. I didn't. I, I I started recovery, but I didn't have a local church body. I didn't have um, Christians in my life. I didn't have people that had um, a positive influence. I, I had a little bit of recovery, and and you know the rest of it was let's cross my fingers and hope God can guide guide me in. And so, really, in 2007, I went on this journey of church planting, um, as they call it. And, and so we started to really investigate the life after 
uh, core treatment, you know, after three or six months of treatment, how do we draw people into recovery um, when relapse is such a big deal in the addiction community? Um, and so we started Union City Church, and it basically really what we wanted to do was have a safe place for people to be able to change. And because recovery is all about change, because the gospel is all about change, um, taking uh, somebody from darkness to light, that, there's a lot of change involved in that. Uh, so we really wanted to develop a community that was understanding, caring, loving, um, not looking at people as those people, but we, most of us are those people. And, um, through, through development, we developed, you know, a platform for people to share their voices. Um, Ashes to Rubies, that's a big one. And to be able to give people resources and community. And, um, the, the one that we started, I think it's about two years, three years ago now was Carlington Booch. So Carlington Booch, kombucha, if you don't know, little education, is fermented tea. I heard you guys talking about fermented tea and fermented coffee. Um, so this is, we take regular tea and we we ferment it. We put uh, yeast and, and culture in it and it ferments and it changes the whole makeup of it. And it's a, a health drink and a health product and it's great for your gut, great for your digestion and um, we wanted to do this to be able to support uh, people in early recovery for job experience for um, maybe they've gotten trouble with the law and they have some court appointments or they uh, have probation appointments or maybe they haven't really had any work experience. And so we wanted to start a social enterprise. And what I mean by that is a business. So something that actually generates money, has a product or a service, uh, but has the social impact. So we're not really focused on the, the, the income part, but the impact part. And so we really wanted to have space for people to come, volunteer, work, um, and, and gain experience and gain community in an environment that would uh, have allowances for uh, their issues and their disabilities um, and their addiction. And so um, what we have seen in addiction, and, and I think that's why this is such a valid conversation now, what we've seen in addiction uh, has skyrocketed. It has, it has made my heart bleed on many occasions uh, because some of the deaths that have occurred have been close to us. And, um, you know, just... The, they, they're suggesting that drinking and smoking weed stats are 40 to 60% higher uh, since COVID start. Just in Vancouver alone, the overdeath rate, I think there was 160, 170 plus people that lost their lives just in Vancouver, uh, in, in BC alone, just from overdose deaths. And it seems like for every three cafes or restaurants that are closing, there's like three cannabis stores popping up. Uh, I don't know how many have popped up in your neighborhood, uh, but I'm sure you've seen one or two. Um, and so how do we get involved in something like this? Does everybody have to start a kombucha company or a rehab or a, um, you know, or, or, or ashes? I, I don't, I don't think you have to f do and, and start your own thing. How do you be a part of a thing? And so, uh, when I thought of justice, I think of the social justice movement because we're involved in a lot of social justice stuff and we go to these conferences and meetings. And, and so um, social justice 
I really believe that it's coming out of a good heart that God has created, but the emphasis is on what I can do. Um, and, and what we have come to understand that even in my life as a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, there is no human power that can solve my problem. And so that I really need the, the power of God. I need the experience of God. And so I think when we talk social justice, we're leading people into the one that is just. And we lead them into relationship with God and to have a spiritual experience. And so just a quick little touch on addiction and why me and my people group uh, have caused so much problems and and issues and um, maybe misunderstanding is that when you see somebody that's sick or has diabetes or has cancer, we feel sorry for them. They're, they're going through a lot of pain and they need support and um, they're able to receive it. But the same thing that happens to an addict, we, we, we need love and support as well and understanding. And if we don't have the understanding, then a lot of words, a lot of phrases in, in people's mind could say, well, they're just those people that have made their choices. And they've made their beds and they can sleep in it. And if they ever want to come and get help, there's rehab centers that they can, they can go and get stuff. There's stuff on the street, there's food, there's shelters, there's all those things. The one issue that I have come to understand is that I've actually lost the power to choose. I've actually lost the power to make these choices. And so that's one thing about really understanding addiction is that the addict has really rewired their brain. The, addict, the, the addiction is actually making my choices and leading me. Um, and, and I'm being driven by, you know, what, how I started off by saying that I had all this stuff inside of me, these insecurities, these fears. So I'm actually being driven by fear and addiction. The things that I'm putting into my body is actually my solution. And so uh, that's a really hard thing to to really grasp is that, an addict isn't really making the choices to go steal and use and stick needles in their arm. Um, all of those things that are detrimental to their life. Um, so that is one thing to be aware of is, is how do you help somebody that's actually being driven by something else and, and they don't have the ability to choose. It's a beautiful question. So addiction eradicates the ability for a person to choose. And so that's a really important key to understand this people group. So how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you love people? How do you guide people? How do you help people that are so hard to help and so destructive? Um, I look at, and we're just at, at church, we're going through the gospel of Matthew and we're looking at the story of the leopard and the leopard, you know, the unclean person, the unclean, the, the, the outcast of society. Oh, the person that you have to stay at least six feet away from and definitely has to wear a mask. Uh, that person, the person that, uh, if that person came close to somebody, they would be infected. They had a deadly disease that was highly contagious. And, and the leper says, to Jesus, are you willing to heal me? Are you willing to touch me? And so Jesus actually touches the untouchable. And instead of getting infected, he is actually the infector. And so the power of God can infect people in a different way. Like the, the, he overcomes all of these challenges. And so with the living God within us, the, the transformation of God, 
uh, the life of an addict actually goes from a thermometer to a thermostat. So a thermometer is affected by the room and controlled by something else. A thermometer, uh, a thermostat is actually given the ability to affect the room. And so I think that's what I think a key is for us as as believers in and and want to have justice in this world and we want to be able to pass on a message and an experience that will change somebody's life is that we have to really understand that the 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 living god that raised jesus from the dead is in my heart and so i can uh affect change wherever i go and so we can touch the untouchable lives um and I'm reminded of the Bible verse in Hebrews 13, verse 12. Um, Jesus is outside the city gates. It refers to Jesus being outside the city gates with the leopard and the sick and the outcasts and the and, and the rejects of society. So um, that is the challenge, guys, is to go out where these people are, uh, to go out and and not be enablers, not be condoners. Um, but with the power of God in your heart, as you have been transformed, as you have been touched, as you have been turned from darkness into light, you carry that light wherever you go. So I believe that we just get involved in wherever and be spirit led, uh, be led by the spirit of God and the power of God, because wherever you go, you have that within you. And so maybe one of you are going to go dancing downtown tonight and touching all these addicts and they're all going to be healed. I highly doubt that, but that would be really cool. Get that on film and and post that on YouTube, please. Um, but the motivation is to know that we are we are we are given uh, a power that that God has transformed our lives for us to be able to transform uh, the world around us. Uh, Paul writes in Second Corinthians one three. Uh, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort uh, ourselves have received from God. So it's this concept of the gospel that isn't just for us to hold on to. It's like this backwards thing. Addiction is all about consuming and, and filling this void and this hole. Um, and I need more and more and more of it. And over the course of time, my life is completely controlled by it. And, and that's what I mean by I'm powerless to make choices anymore. And so this is the upside down of reality is that God gives us something to be able to pass on to other people. And so it's kind of like the opposite of the, the kingdom of darkness. It's like, get what you can, fill it up and get more and more and more. And so we only get to keep what we give away. And so in the addiction world, that's not a good philosophy at all, at any level. Like, oh, I just bought a case of beer. Okay, to keep this, I got to give it away. It's not going to work in that context. But that's what God is literally saying to us. He's saying, like, I have transformed your life. You you have picked up your cross and died and put your belief in me. And I have transformed you into salt and light uh, for the world around you to give you purpose and meaning. And so... A beautiful thing that really has touched my heart in First John four nineteen, kind of on the same concept, is this is something that I could never receive in my life, but alcohol actually gave it to me, and and it it's called love, and so it's a false love that tried to destroy my life because the enemy is coming to destroy the image of God, and so we read in First John four nineteen. We love each other because he first loved us. And so 
when when I was in early recovery, I was filled with the love of God um, in in a certain experience that I had as I stood up for prayer and all these guys touched me. This is my early recovery. I didn't have a barometer for guys touching me and praying for me, so it was really weird. But I had this spiritual experience that I felt the love of God come into my heart and, and I was transformed into a new person. And that love drove me. That love actually guided me where fear actually drove me. Um, so my love didn't drive me. It filled me. And it filled me in a way that it compelled me to give it away. And so if you're wondering, like, okay, this is great. I, I, I love me some alcoholics and crackheads. How do I, how do I, how do I f- fill them with the love of God? Um, in, in Romans 15, 13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's my message is you need to be f- so filled with God that it flows over and you are compelled right. to live a life of justice. Is that my time? Um, uh, that, that you are overflowed, uh, that you are transformed, that you are filled, uh, you are transformed from darkness to light, uh, that you have the living water within you and that you walk around with authority and the power of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead. And so uh, a good sign of that is that you start to have compassion for, uh, people on the street, that you have compassion for people, uh, you know, that the kids are smoking weed or, um, you know, people that are getting in trouble and addiction and, and that you have this compassion and empathy that you've never had before. Uh, and, and God's given you something to give to other people. And so uh, I'm reminded that when we do God's work, uh, we do it his way, then we um, aren't easily tired. Um, you know, when we look at social social justice and if it doesn't involve Jesus, um, it's a lot of work. It's a it's a lot of effort, and we tire from it. And so, if we do it in the name of Jesus, we are led and powered by the Spirit of God. And so, that just gives you uh, an opportunity to do your own thing and and get involved with whatever social justice um, group of people that God's really put on your heart to to help get involved. Uh, whether that's on the street or in a rehab center or in your school or whatever it is or wherever you are. Um, amen. I think that's all I have. Yeah, thanks.